Welcome to Mayo Clinic Q&A. I'm Dr. Helena Gazelka. With the recent approval of the COVID-19 vaccines, the world's attention has turned to who will get them first. For some people, there's hesitancy about taking the COVID-19 vaccine. Concerns from those who are hesitant about vaccines often center on whether they are safe and whether they are effective. Joining us today to discuss vaccine hesitancy is Dr. Robert Jacobson, who's the director of the Mayo Clinic Primary Care Immunization Program. Thanks for being here today, Dr. Jacobson. I'm glad to join you. Thank you for having me. Well, this is a fascinating topic at any time because we all know that there are those who choose not to immunize uh, or the children for various reasons or themselves. And uh, now with the COVID-19 vaccine and so many Americans uh, needing vaccinations, it's particularly poignant, I think. Yes, we, we ha have always, since the beginning of vaccination, struggled with vaccine hesitancy, uh, a sense of uncertainty about whether or not one should go ahead with the vaccine that is available or recommended. Well, no different for the COVID-19 vaccine. What is the biggest reason for hesitancy, do you think? I think for most people who are hesitant, it's the issue that it is so new. Um, obviously, uh, the pandemic uh, hit everyone and has affected everyone in so many ways, disrupting everyone's life. And then to hear that there's a newfangled vaccine or set of vaccines that are available uh, leaves a lot of people feeling uncertain. I think that makes sense, Bob. Also, it seems to me that during the COVID uh, pandemic, there's been so much uh, miscarriage of information. So it's been highly, things have been highly politicized or, you know, um, very cited, uh, black and white. And so it's even added another layer to that, I imagine. It has. I think it's created some fear that uh, uh, this might be, uh, might have been rushed through. I, I, one of the things I really want to stress with you uh, and share with, uh, with those listening in is the understanding from my experience now 30 years with uh, pediatrics and with the routine vaccinations and the at-risk vaccinations that we use and recommend for our patients, that the vaccines that we will have for the COVID-19 pandemic did not cut any corners. There was, um, while it happened very quickly, all of the requirements that we hold for the licensure of any vaccine in the past actually were completed by the manufacturers in the study of these vaccines to bring them to market. Um, for example, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine that received emergency use authorization actually um, was studied in over 40,000 people in a randomized wow. controlled trial comparing it to placebo so we can uh, rule out coincidences and really understand cause effect. Does the vaccine actually work compared to placebo? Does the vaccine actually cause side effects compared to placebo? Uh, can we really say the vaccine's safe? 
And I'm here to tell you, yes, we can. We actually have all that information. The same information that we collected before we started recommending the Haemophilus influenza type B uh -huh. vaccine to our uh, parents of infants, before we started recommending the chickenpox vaccine or the shingles vaccine, we have all that data. Now, as we go forward into the pandemic with recommendations for the COVID-19 vaccine. Well, Bob, I think that's really good to hear because I admit that even as a, a scientist and a, a physician, that there's a little bit of me that thought, wow, this is really fast. This is new technology relatively. And 95%, who ever hears that something is 95% uh, effective, but I imagine some of our other vaccines must be as well. Well, we have the human papillomavirus vaccine that approaches 98, 99% effectiveness for some cancers uh, in terms of preventing the HPV infection that prevents the cancers. We have other vaccines that we use that unfortunately are more at the 50% level. One of the things that speeded up the process for the manufacturers here was the fact that the vaccine was so effective. Mathematically, it's a lot easier to show a vaccine is effective if it is at the 95% ballpark than at 50%. It takes more patience, it takes more time uh, to show a vaccine is better than placebo half the time when it's 95% effective, very different sense. Well, now, the, the other, oh, go ahead. Bob, I'm just going to interrupt you for a minute because we say um, that it's effective, 95%. However, weren't the people who were trialing the vaccine and testing it, weren't they wearing masks and socially isolating like the rest of us are? We know that flu has been decreased due to a number of those um, measures this year. So couldn't it be true that it looks more effective than it really is? That's why we do the randomized controlled trial because of the 43,000, half of them only got saline injection. That 95% is a comparison of the rates of disease among those who got the vaccine as compared to the placebo. So indeed, um, all of the groups thought they might be getting the experimental vaccine or they might be getting the placebo. So they were still taking the cautions that you and I take, masking, avoiding crowds, social distancing, hand washing. And yet, even with all of that, the vaccine, in addition to all of that, reduced the risk of disease by 95%. So and that's how we can feel confident about the vaccine. And so Bob, the people who received the saline injection, they would have had a similar incidence of COVID developing over that the study time period as um, others in the population would? Yes. Uh, wearing the masks and socially distancing, there's still very much a risk. That's why we need the vaccine. Um, uh, all of those measures are important. And I'm asking everyone to continue doing those as long as we have circulating COVID-19. But the vaccine, in addition, dramatically reduced the risk. Well, we, you did mention earlier that this has gone through fairly quickly. And I'm wondering, how long does it last? Are we going to have to get this vaccine again, the flu vaccine we get every year, for instance? Yes. And, it, you know, one of the problems with any newly licensed vaccine is figuring out the durability. Um, only after the chickenpox vaccine was in use for a good three, four, five years 
did we know we need to boost it after five years? Similarly with the meningococcal vaccine that we give all of our teenagers at age 11, initially we thought this looks like it's going to be good for life. Uh, the antibodies seem to persist uh, long after vaccination, but after about five, six years, it became clear you need a booster at five years. So yes, once we have it in, uh, in use, we're going to learn about the durability of that immunity and when it should be boosted. Um, that's uh, one of the, the features of vaccine studies. Uh, that will have to continue after licensure. Uh, but it's no reason to say, oh, I won't take the vaccine because it may not last. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where it will give you protection now, you need the protection now. If it turns out you need boosting, we'll get you that boosting later. Bob, does mutation of viruses have anything to do with the potential need to repeat it? And is that why we repeat the flu vaccine every year? These are really different cases. With the COVID-19, we've not seen huge shifts uh, with the, the viral genetics that would suggest that we're going to need to come up with different uh, vaccines that handle different strains. Very different issue for influenza where we call it influenza, but actually the strains that emerge each year are different from the ones we've had the year before. Um, and that rapidly mutating uh, group of viruses, we actually vaccinate now with uh, a vaccine that contains uh, uh, vaccines for three to four of the strains. Um, that doesn't appear to be the case for COVID-19. Uh, this is much more similar to say the measles vaccine where we've been vaccinating against that RNA virus now since 1963 and we've not seen any mutation that's required a new vaccine. Oh, that's very interesting. Bob, you mentioned multiple vaccines that are administered in uh, children or younger adults. Now, I don't think that the, the COVID vaccines that we are seeing um, come through for FDA approval yet have approval for young children. Is that true? And how does that affect them when they are returning to school and things like that? You know, as a rule in research with humans, we tend to say first prove it safe and effective in adults and then test the children. Uh, we uh, appropriately so treat children as a protected group. But now that we know the vaccine safe and effective in adults, the manufacturers actually are rushing to begin trials in younger children. Uh, Pfizer uh, recently began studying children 12 years and older and Moderna will this December uh, in 2020 start studying uh, children uh, uh, on, uh, 12 years and uh, older. The, so far, what we know is the Pfizer vaccine is very safe and effective in people 16 years and older. Um, we will work down in the age groups um, and eventually have vaccines for infants. Um, really, we know that children often are asymptomatic and, still, and yet can still spread the disease. So it will be very important uh, to protect children for their own sake, as well as to protect others around them with a COVID-19 vaccine. It just takes more time, more studies to get there. Uh, we never assume that a vaccine that works in an older person would automatically work in a child. Uh, we have lots of examples with vaccines where the rules are different for children than they are for adults. For example, 
a flu vaccine works very well in a six month older, but only if you get two doses. If you give the flu vaccine to a five month older, it's as though her body didn't even notice she was vaccinated. It just completely ignores it. By the time you're 10 years of age, you only need one flu vaccine uh, to get that protection for the year, not the two. And it turns out with the flu vaccine, you only need that double dosing a month apart the first time you start the series that your previous vaccinations with flu have primed the pump. Other vaccines, um, for example, chickenpox and measles, mumps, rubella, don't even begin to work until you're 12 months of age. Um, the body just ignores them when you're younger. Uh, so we've got to be very careful making assumptions with age and vaccination. Okay. Bob, that leads me to another question. I'm wondering, is the COVID vaccine going to be recommended for um, pregnant women? Right now it is. Um, it initially, the um, Pfizer study was not studied in pregnant women. Uh, on, uh, they were purposely excluded. Um, but we, uh, but the FDA took the data that Pfizer and BioNTech presented, looked at the raw data, um, did its own analyses, and examined very carefully what actually happened in real life, um, and made a decision based on uh, what they saw in the data uh, that we should proceed with pregnant people, um, knowing that we didn't have uh, uh, pregnant people included in the study, but this is a vaccine that uh, is not a live virus. It is an mRNA vaccine. The mRNA only replicates a few times in the cytoplasm, that outside material of the cell and not in the nucleus where the genetic information is, and only in the lymph nodes at the end of uh, um, uh, the limb where you got your injection and not all over in the body. So there's no reason to think that this would threaten the pregnancy or hurt the infant. Certainly doesn't change genetic information in a, um, and pregnant people are at increased risk for harm from COVID-19. So putting that all together, our recommendation now is that this vaccine can be used in pregnant women uh, if, uh, um, if they're at risk for COVID-19. So for example, our healthcare workers who are pregnant um, are at increased risk for COVID-19 infection. Um, I would counsel them that in most cases, they should go ahead and get the vaccine. I, something else you said, really perked up my ears because I've had family members ask me, because this is an mRNA vaccine, doesn't it mean that it's going to incorporate into our DNA and change our genetic makeup? But that apparently is not so. That isn't so. Um, we actually, this, it, a lot of people have pointed out, oh, this is the first time we've ever had an mRNA vaccine. But we've actually used the technology of mRNA vaccines uh, to get immunity. For example, when we get a live viral vaccination with the measles vaccine, that's an RNA virus that goes into our cytoplasm of our cells, replicates a few times, makes some of the protein that we need to make antibodies against, and then our body gets rid of that weakened virus and we're left with the immunity to the wild form of the measles. So our body actually has used RNA from 
injections to make immunity. We've been doing it for years and years and years with children and adults. Um, this sounds a little strange, when, but in fact, if anything, it's purer and more careful. Instead of getting RNA from a virus, we're getting RNA synthetically from a lab, very purified. Um, because we can give just the RNA, you're not getting any of the other information of the virus. You're not getting something that can replicate and go on and on and on on its own. You're just getting the plain RNA. Um, so this is a, 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 a very neat technology. It actually allows the manufacturers to make the vaccine very quickly and to make a lot of it. So it's, it's actually really good news for us and not something scary. It definitely does not go into the nucleus. It definitely doesn't get incorporated into our DNA. Um, it, it, in fact, is a very temporary phenomenon. That's why we need two doses of it rather than just rely on one to make our per, uh, persisting immunity. So Bob, that's all well and good for the mRNA vaccines. But um, my understanding is there are multiple vaccines that are being produced by different um, manufacturers, pharmaceutical companies, and um, that they work differently. So how do we know? Should we be holding out for something better than what we're being offered right now? And will we get to choose eventually? Uh, should we wish we could choose? I would counsel my patients, their parents, uh, the, uh, my colleagues who work with other uh, patients. Um, I, I would counsel our employees of our healthcare organization, get the vaccine that's available to you today. 300,000 people have died in the United States from this pandemic and we're not even through the first year of it. Um, while we could always hold out for something that might be different or improved, what we got is actually wonderful. What we have available uh, through this emergency use authorization is worth taking now. Um, yes, manufacturers around the world are working on various different ways to vaccinate and create immunity. And in fact, we may find that in the future, some are better for some groups than others, or some are better for um, uh, children than the vaccines developed for adults. We don't know that yet, and I certainly would not delay doing what I could to protect my patients and myself, uh, holding out for something that might be different. Um, I would uh, argue, uh, take what we have available now uh, and, and run with it. Bob, another question that has come up frequently is that of potential side effects. I'm wondering what um, our listeners should anticipate as they take a vaccine. And then um, is there a risk of long-term potential bad effects that we don't know about yet, like cancer or neurologic problems or something from the vaccine that maybe we haven't learned about yet? You know, the, um, this, the vaccine is a reactogenic vaccine. It causes some symptoms. I, I, I liken it to a foreign body reaction. Um, it, that is, you inject something into your body, your body recognizes it and gets rid of it. Um, now, we're, there's a short period of time or while your body's getting rid of it, it's actually um, responding to the proteins that the, uh, the vaccine made and making immunity. But Meanwhile, your body's doing everything it can to get rid of that foreign body. Well, that means that there's going to be pain on injection. A good 60 to 80% of people feel pain with the injection. That's your body saying, hey, 
Somebody just injects something into me. Your body's recognizing it. Um, about, uh, depending on your age, one out of six might get a fever, uh, might get a sense of muscle ache or joint ache, might get a sense of a headache or fatigue. These systemic effects, again, are your body reacting to the foreign body getting rid of it. It's annoying, but they show up in a day or uh, in the first few days after vaccination, they last a day or two, and then you're back to normal. The very large studies of 40,000 people randomized to get either the vaccine or the placebo were done to study for any sort of changes over the next two months of getting vaccination that would suggest that this might cause an autoimmune problem. This might cause an immune compromising problem. This might cause a cancer generating problem. And all of those tests came back negative. No increase in injury, no increase in hospitalization, no increase in death, just the opposite. This vaccine is very protective. Now, if you put it along the line of all of the vaccines that we use currently and have used in the past, none of those vaccines ever were linked with causing a cancer. We have a few of them that are actually uh, linked with stopping cancers, preventing cancers, but none of them caused cancer. None of the vaccines caused autoimmune disease. Uh, none of them caused multiple sclerosis. There have been accusations, but when studied in, uh, in a, a, a research um, design that would actually show cause effect, whether it's a case control study or randomized controlled trial, we have found no evidence that any of the vaccines we've used have ever gone on to cause that. Well, that's reassuring because you, you do hear things, the study was paused or something, but there must be in a group as large as they're testing this on, people who develop other um, health issues during the time that they've they're testing the vaccine. It's absolutely true that for any vaccine trial, you are going to have people die. You are going to have people who, um, who get injured, who develop a disease. 43,000 adults all the way up to age 85, some bad things will happen. The whole idea of a randomized controlled trial is to follow them forward in a blinded fashion, not knowing whether they got the vaccine or the placebo, and then count up all the bad things that happen and then ask at the end of the study, taking off the blinders, did more happen in the group that got the placebo versus the vaccine or vice versa? And that's how we can say with confidence that we ruled out safety problems with the vaccine. A few minutes ago, you mentioned some of the side effects that should be expected, such as some tenderness where the, where the vaccine is administered, et cetera, maybe fevers. Those sound kind of like COVID symptoms. Yes, it's, it's frustrating um, that COVID does give those systemic feelings of, of, uh, or, or symptoms and that some of these resemble that. What we are telling our employees and our patients as they get the vaccine that if you get a day or so after the vaccine, symptoms like fever or muscle ache or joint ache uh, or fatigue that lasts a day or two, you don't need COVID-19 testing. You don't need to fear that you have COVID-19. Um, if you have a cough 
a sore throat, uh, if you have a known exposure to COVID-19, if the symptoms last longer than the, those uh, few days, then we need to go ahead and test for COVID-19 quarantine until you know the result. Um, and, uh, and then if, if it's negative, then you can go back to, uh, uh, to work and no longer quarantine. Uh, if it's positive, obviously, we know COVID is circulating. We know that you need both doses, uh, for example, with the Pfizer vaccine and both doses of the Moderna vaccine to be protective. And so COVID could actually happen between doses of the vaccine. Well, I'm going to be play the devil's advocate now for a minute, Bob. Do we really need a vaccine? This is a virus. Most viruses, you know, they come over the winter, they eventually go away. We've seen countries who had uh, incredible surges of COVID-19 at the beginning prior to it spreading so wildly in the United States. So what do you say to the people who say, eh, maybe, maybe this is all unnecessary? I would say to those people who question the need, take a look at the data, look at the numbers. The US right now is in its third surge. 300,000 plus people have died from COVID-19 just this year. Compare it with the flu season the year before when only 30,000 died, or the year before that when only 50,000 died. More than 300,000 have died. And yesterday, um, or the day before uh, this recording here in December, um, we had recorded the most deaths a day of COVID-19. Uh, we certainly, in this third surge, are actually having it worse than we did in the first two surges. We desperately need to do more than what we're doing right now. And social distancing, hand washing and masking here in the United States is not getting us to where we need to be. The vaccine will give durable immunity, will stop the spread, will stop the chain from one person to another. One of the trickiest things COVID-19 does is that it can make one person so sick that they're on a ventilator in the hospital and the next person doesn't even notice the symptoms. Yes. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people who, um, who uh, take on a bravado about COVID-19 and feel that they, uh, they can't get it, uh, that it's not gonna cause them harm and what they're seeing in the, the news is just the, uh, the worst of it. But this is a virus like no other. We've not dealt with something this bad. This is not just uh, a little bit more difficult flu. This is 10 times worse. All right. Sounds like we should get vaccinated. Yes. Bob, do, you any, do you have any last uh, words of wisdom for us before we leave today? I want people to understand that no shortcuts were taken with the development and licensure of the vaccine. We're very fortunate to have vaccines that have been proven so effective and so safe. I recommend that everyone get the vaccine when it's made available to them and it's recommended to them to get it. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here today to explain to us about uh, vaccine hesitancy, Bob. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. Our, our thanks to Mayo Clinic physician, Dr. Robert Jacobson, for being here with us to share so much information about the COVID-19 vaccines today. I hope that you learned something. I know that I did. And we wish you a wonderful day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. 
To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well.